Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk about payments and payments orchestration. What does that mean and how can you use this to get to a competitive advantage if you have a business that doesn't focus on payments, but you need to collect payments from someone, right? So we need help and Ralph from BlueSnap can help you. So we're going to find out more. I'm very curious to find out more about payments orchestration, how to embed payments functionality to other kinds of businesses. Let's hear him out. So how are you today, Ralph? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Ralph, tell us, what is your backstory? How did you get to do what you do today? There's a long backstory because I've been doing payments for about just over 30 years now. And I think I was in fintech before fintech was hot. And I was at multiple companies. I was at banks. I was at small growing companies that were venture funded. I went to public companies, back to small, back to public, back to small. And I've always dealt with really the transition of money movement. So money being moved in and out of accounts from customers to banks, back to customers. And that's effectively what we do here at BlueSnap, right? Is we help businesses accept payments globally. We can do that in pretty much any currency with any payment type in a lot of local areas and we pay them back out. And we think we do that more efficiently than others in the market. And so it's really a combination of the years of my experience brought me into BlueSnap to now offer these services to businesses and merchants. I see. All right. So accepting payments, this is what you do today. A lot of experience in fintech and financial services altogether. But let's start from the very beginning. What is the problem that you have discovered or the pain point? A lot of people talk about customer centricity these days, and sometimes it feels like a lip service, but sometimes it doesn't, right? So if you start with your customers, where is the problem or the opportunity that you're focusing on and where your solution fits the best? Yeah, it's a great question because that's actually the problem is the solutions moved over time. We've been here 20 years. I've been here a little over 10. And when we first started off, it was really about building simple APIs or simple technology that with services that a merchant or business could use so they can instantaneously sell around the world. That's moved now because obviously the smartphone, global commerce, the pandemic, lots of things have come into the market, which has changed the thinking. So a lot of clients today are already selling globally or they've attempted to start selling globally, and they're really not doing it efficiently. They So what they need to do is they need to optimize what we call the acceptance, the auth rates, or minimize their declines. And the second thing they do is they actually get charged too much money for processing payments internationally, and a lot of people don't know where to turn to cut their costs. 
And so what our platform does, and I love this term payment orchestration, I feel we've been actually migrating to this term, been on this road for a while, we finally got a term that really makes a lot of sense, is really about how do I optimize the acceptance of payments globally. So I'm getting the most out of my acceptance and I'm doing it at the lowest cost. And that's what we do here. And that's what our payment optimization platform does. I see. All right. So let's talk about it a little bit because some people talk about payment orchestration all day long and some people maybe heard it the first time around. So are we talking about software or hardware solutions? What is it? Because you said also that the customer needs shifted and now more many in, or more of your customers are selling globally. Have you started with accepting payments, say, at the kiosk or somewhere where there was a cash payment and now it's also digital? Or are we talking about only about e-commerce or now it's more e-commerce than retail, physical retail? So we started off with e-commerce um, and that's a line share what we do. However, we support the ability to put go to a kiosk right, and turn that transaction, digital transaction. We support things like taking an invoice and digitizing it. So it's what I call an e-check. We support people putting terminals into stores and accepting payments that way. But we went the other way first. We started with really e-commerce and backed into some physical components. So it's primarily e-commerce. All right. So let's follow up on that one point you mentioned before, that if you have an e-commerce website, you would like to decrease your declines and you don't want to pay too much, etc. So do you have any stats to say or to show people why is it worth solving? Are we talking about how much of declines are we talking about? Are the e-commerce sites losing a lot of business because of this? Or is this a rare occurrence? So it, de it depends how internationally you are. But generally speaking, the greater, the more countries you sell in, the more payments you're losing or the more customers you're losing. So let me give you an example. We have data that shows that folks that are selling in multiple countries, if they start implementing our systems and start processing these payments locally, they get between a 3 and a 12% uplift in the authorization rates. So let's do the math really quickly, right? If you're selling $100 million of business annually, we're talking about somewhere from a 3 to $12 million uplift in your sales. I think that's a big deal. The other component that happens is when people process cards from shoppers outside of their issued card. So a Swiss card gets processed in the United States, a United States card gets processed in Switzerland. That gets an upcharge by the card brands, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, they all do the same, of around one and a half percent. So automatically you're paying a one to one and a half percent uplift on processing that cards. So if 20% of your business or 30% of your business is international and you're not optimizing where you're routing that traffic, you will pay an extra one to 2% on the cost. So you can see this could add up very quickly into multi-millions of dollars of extra expense that the business is paying to process cards and horrible customer service when people get their cards to client, they really shouldn't. 
Absolutely, absolutely. But let's talk about also why you better. You said that you do it better than others, right? So what is your unique selling point? So let's say that you are have a, you have an e-commerce website in the United States, you're selling it to Europe or Asia, and you said something about decreasing decline rates because you can authorize the transactions locally. So how does that work? And yeah, you so- say well, the uplift you don't want to or uptick you don't want to pay. So how can you go around it? Sure. So Rob, most merchants are processing payments with their bank today. Okay. Whether it's, I know you're in Switzerland, so I'm bringing whether it's Credit Suisse or Deutsche Bank or Barclays or ANZ in Australia or JCB in Japan or TD in Canada, they're processing with their banks. Those banks by nature are not set up globally. So there's not a lot of foreign branches to support the processing of local cards. So we are set up in 47 local countries to process the cards. So when you connect to us, we automatically can get you to the local country where the local bank just doesn't have the network to do that. So that's the biggest opportunity right in front of folks there is to capture that piece of the market. All right. So you have a network where the others don't. Fair enough. Now, obviously, e-commerce is complicated and you don't need to boil the ocean and sort out all the problems in e-commerce. But when people talk about e-commerce, they also talk about abandoned cards and things like this, right? And that's related to declines. How do you help your clients to potentially set them up for the other parts of the value chain when it comes to e-commerce? Yeah, so that's a really good question. First of all, we obviously set them up with the routing that we think is going to be optimal so the abandoned card, the the cards don't get declined. The second thing we do is we help people set up the fraud rules so that they're not declining good clients and they're not letting bad clients through. Those are a couple services that we provide folks, and we also help them whitelist what we would call customers that may be abusing their services. You know, what we call friendly fraud, where someone really bought a service and calls up and says, hey, I want to charge that back because I didn't get my wine from France when really you did. So we have some value added services in there that allow them to really optimize not losing good customers and keeping the customers they don't want out of their website, out of their shopping cart. Which leads me to another point about how do you do it when it comes to routing, for example, right? There are some fintechs in this world who focus on international payments for SMEs, SMBs, and some of them, they say, we use AI because everybody needs to throw in an AI in the conversation, of course. But in any case, they use AI to route the payments through the optimal, through the optimal journey or route, or, and then sometimes they can also use crypto for this, for some parts of the world that may be more efficient. So how do you find that optimal route or route? Is this something that is dynamic or is it part of your research when you're setting up the network? How do you go about that? Yeah. So we call it payment optimization and it's a combination of something like BI and AI. And we've been doing this for 10 years. And I think AI is one of the most overused words in the business right now, because what we're simply doing is we're reading the data of the shopper's issued card. It's been issued by Deutsche Bank or Barclays or Credit Suisse. And we say to ourselves, where's this merchant located? This merchant's located in 
Ireland. So we're going to try to route the transaction in, we're going to try to keep that transaction in the EU because we know that optimizes, that's where the best chance of that card being successful based on what they're buying from the merchant. So it's part of our analytics that we set the thing up, we set it up, and then it's part of our sort of ongoing AI that drops us out data on a regular basis that says, wait a minute, for some reason, the Barclay issued cards are doing better in this country than that country. You may want to suggest rerouting it. Think of it almost as Google Maps, right? I'm on my way to Heathrow Airport. It's telling me the route to go. I plug it into my system. I'm optimized. But halfway through the journey, there's an accident. So I need to reroute myself because of something that's going on. And that's where our AI kicks in. So BI sets the path and AI makes the adjustments. I see. All right. Um, let's follow up a little bit on the anti-fraud value-added services you mentioned. So how do you do it? Do you have enough data to do this? Or is it enough what you have plus some predictions you use, the algorithms? How does that work? Yeah, good question. Look, no one ever has enough data on fraud, so I'd be crazy to say I did. But we have a lot. We partner with a company called Account, and what they do is they have data across all all over the world on cards that have been compromised as well as business types that have been optimized for whatever types of fraud rules they have. The fraud rules for someone selling games online versus sweaters versus wine is very different. So we need to look at the business type. We need to look at how global and domestic they are. And we help them set up the fraud rules that is best on their business based on all of the knowledge we have across their customer base and across ours. I see. I see. All right. Now let's also dive into the industry verticals perspective, right? You talked about international e-commerce, US and the rest of the world, etc. Do you have a preference for which industries or types of businesses you support or not? And how do you feel? How do you think about industry slash sector focus? I got to be honest, we don't really have an industry or sector focus as we're selling to merchants. We tend to go into the middle market. We're very broad. We handle retail. We handle B2B. We do a lot of software. We do work with charities. So we don't really have an industry focus because it doesn't really matter what they're selling online. Our technology handles all those use cases. So that, that's one thing. I think where we get very industry focused, and this is a new trend, Rudolph, is there's a lot of platform, software platforms that are selling payments right now as part of their platform, like Intuit for someone. You can buy payments as part of the Intuit QuickBooks. Everyone's taking a copy out of that book, a little bit what Uber's doing with their drivers, right? They sell the drivers the payments as part of the ride. And so in that, we found it gets extremely vertical specific. So we have platforms that are dealing with law offices, professional services, charities, education, rent, camps, and they're very specific use cases of CRM or ARP systems that really focus on solving problems for those verticals. And we embed our payments in there as a white label stack and so the platform is selling their technology and payments along with them. And so it looks like a bundled deal. And that's called embedded payments. And that's extremely verticalized. All right. Understood. Understood. Embedded payments. Obviously, that's about 
putting payments functionality wherever the customers are. Exactly. As, a, as apparently the Bill Gates said years ago, in the future we will need banking, but maybe not necessarily banks. So, exactly. <laughs> all right, understood. So we talked about your algorithms and the technology, but let's let's also double down on this because you also mentioned the network. So. How did you find growing that network, critical mass? You have a partnership, so that complements it, but you said you're in 47 countries. How hard or how easy was it to go to these other countries and at the same time work on the technology that you have? It was very difficult, to be honest with you. We have two groups in our company, one that does payments and we call it acquiring. And it took us, honestly, about 10 years to build up to 47 countries and and a sizable investment from our private equity firms, Great Hill Partners and Parthenon Capital, both here in Boston. And and they had the vision that we had that if we could actually build this infrastructure or network of banks that accept payments globally, it's going to be a real value prop for our businesses. On top of that, we then had to build a technology where the businesses could pick and choose how they want to manage their checkout functions by country and by product. For example, when you're buying something, maybe you're buying, I'm going to use wine, and there's a business that's buying wine from Bordeaux, and they're buying thousands of bottles, and they've got a big invoice. They've got to do different things on their checkout screen than you and I who go in and buy a occasional bottle of Bordeaux. So they have the flexibility to pick and choose from a library of hundreds of APIs, what they end up dropping on the checkout page for the business. So we had one team build the product, which is these technical APIs. And we had another team that was building the network and they had to sync up. It's kind of like well, someone's building the track, someone's building the train, and you need to get the track running on the train really smoothly. But we've gotten very good at that, obviously, after doing this for, for over 10 years. Which leads me to another question. Do you have any success stories or case studies of the clients that you help to either grow their business or sort out that problem of declines and ex- excessive fees when they were trying to grow internationally? We have hundreds of them. We publish a lot of these on our website with the clients that we've helped and all the different business types that we've helped. We then aggregate those and we publish white papers and a lot of content on places like LinkedIn and our site. And it's just amazing how much we can help merchants. And what I always say to these merchants is, if you give me a $100 million merchant, I probably can find them a million and a half dollars of savings almost every single time. And that happens 80, 85% of the time. All right. So if anybody's interested, go and check out Blue Snap's website and you will see white papers on the success stories, implementation, etc. Right? Yes. Now, you talked about how you help them and that could be a million dollar opportunity almost all the time. Now, what is your business model? How do you make money? So we make money like every other payment provider out there, Rudolph generally is we get a little piece of the transaction as it flows through the system. That's just how the banks get it. So depending on the size of the transaction, depending on where the transaction settles, depending on the currency, that's how we get paid. Plus, I guess, these additional services, right? Yes, that's correct. So we would sell if you want to buy our fraud services or you want to buy our tax services or you want to buy some kind of alerts that help you with refunds. 
we charge additional for that as well. You're right. And any implementations or not? No, we don't charge implementation fees. We act as a support mechanism to help guide these merchants to the most optimal checkout. So we that's how we do it. All right, all clear. So before I let you go, I just have two easy questions. First of all, do you have any business book to recommend? Or if not the book, then any other source where people can read up on this a bit more, apart from the white paper we already mentioned, and or something else that you found interesting and useful when you were working in fintech so far? I'm going to go back to one of my old favorite books called Good to Great. I think it's just one of the best business books out there about getting the right people on the bus and all the things you have to do. That That's one of my favorites all time. Wonderful. So Jim Collins, good to great. He starts to catch up with Ben Horowitz and the hard thing about hard things on this podcast. Lately, people seem to go back to this book. I don't know if it has to do with the economy or something else. It is with the economy because you really need to manage very, very well during these times and people really need to pull together. So it's a good refresher book for everybody. Okay. Understood. So My last question is, what is the best way to reach out and what kind of people would you like to hear from most? So we're really easy, bluesnap.com. We're all over the site. We're all over LinkedIn. I think the people that really resonate with our story are the controllers, CFO, or payments people. It's really the business people because the technology guys can make any of these APIs work now. And that's changed. It used to be the technology person, say, five to seven years ago, but now it's really coming to CFO. And I can't think of a CFO right now that doesn't want to save money, keep their sales up or growing, and also do it with an ROI. So that's what we help them do. So that's the guys that that really benefit from our platform. Absolutely. So thank you so much. And good luck to you, Ralph and BlueSnap. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.